God, do I matter to anybody? And they said, when I received that blanket and I saw that note, it restored my hope. And and that's one of the reasons why I'm at Feed My Starving Children, because I, I know that one meal in, in God's hand can make a tremendous difference. It can bring hope to that person that's wondering, do I matter? And we get this all the time. We say, why do people in Minnesota care about us? <laughs> How did they even know that, that we're here? And, and the joy to know that we're not forgotten about. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. Uh, today, we're going to be actually doing something a little bit different. You know, mostly we talk about uh, best practices for managing our rental properties, making sure that we're intentional about the way that we interact with our tenants and we respond to maintenance so that when we eventually go to sell these properties, they actually are very valuable. But we're going to take a, a, a detour today. Um, today I have with me in studio Martin Baunick. Martin, thanks for coming in. Thanks, John, for having me. Of course. And Martin, is uh, he's with a donor engagement at Feed My Starving Children. And if you have listened to my previous episodes, you know that we have an upcoming uh, opportunity to volunteer at Feed My Starving Children. And I wanted to give you, the audience, a better understanding of what this organization is all about and why I, you know, am basically passionate about being involved. So, um, Martin, uh, thank you again for coming in. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, could you take a moment and just provide the audience with a brief history of, of what Feed My Starving Children is all about? Sure. So Feed My Starving Children started in 1987. So our founder, Richard Proudfit, uh, as he was traveling overseas, felt like the uh, the Lord really spoke to his heart and uh, gave the message to feed my starving children in uh, body, heart, soul, spirit. And so the mission came back of how do we feed kids uh, that are maybe forgotten about, overlooked in some of the hardest places in the world. And eventually uh, it came to a point of it's not just getting the kids calories. So how can we do something better? And so food scientists came together from some local corporations and they developed the meal that we currently have. So we've got uh, the vitamins. So we've got over 20 micronutrients uh, that are in our vitamin powder, the veggies, the soy, and the rice. So rice is the most widely eaten food in the world. Uh, soy is a common protein that can be shipped into most countries. Obviously, we've got the vegetables. And then we also have the vitamins that can promote uh, brain growth, health, and uh, just to get somebody back on that uh, path to overall 
sustainability and health uh, physically. And, and so, so that started and um, partnering with some organizations. The first 15 years, we shipped uh, 25 million meals those first 15 years. And we kind of came to a point, and there's, there's videos online. So if you look up Feed My Starving Children and you do the YouTube, some of these videos are out there. But there's a point of where we say we're, uh, we kind of hit a ceiling or a crisis of who we are. So it's very important. You don't have to be a Christian to pack meals there. You don't have to be a Christian to receive the meals. Matter of fact, uh, a couple of years ago, we did an event called Love Somalia where we shipped 6 million meals over to Somalia. And my joke is no matter how easy that sounds, it's not an easy feat to get 6 million meals into Somalia. And uh, But we decided that if we're a Christian organization, we wanted to make sure that uh, people knew that, that that was our reasoning, uh, that was our passion for doing things. And uh, and when we made that decision, there was a, a little bit of a, a pushback at first where it's, it's out there on the uh, YouTube where an organization said, you know, we're going to pull back our gift because you you made that that decision. And um, I'll, I'll let people search for that on there. But what happened the next 15 years, uh, we didn't ship 25 million meals over 15 years. We shipped 2.5 billion. And so from making that decision in 2003, 2004, um, we grew 40% year over year, even during the Great Recession. So the the need for hung uh, I'm sorry the need for the meals and uh, the the hunger related issues out there uh, they're they're a myriad and, and so we're we're continuing to grow and so we've grown from an organization again 15 million meals or I'm sorry 25 million meals first 15 years to now we're we're doing 365 million meals uh, a year so right now we feed over 1.1 million kids in over 70 different countries around the world. So we've just seen some tremendous growth and, uh, and we think favor. And um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of the history of where we're at. Wow. That is impressive. Um, and it's just in, kind of mind boggling to think about hunger. I, you know, here in America, we have so much that it's so easy to forget about other places in the world that don't have yeah, so th that's one of the challenges. How do you get somebody to see in a, a first world country the the need in, in a third world country where um, where decisions about hunger may be this? I, I have five children, and I'm going to choose three to eat, and two won't eat. Mm -hmm. That's that's incomprehensible. But but those are the decisions that uh, mothers and fathers and, and grandparents all over the world are are, are making and. The reasons for hunger-related issues can be very complicated. We're, we're an apolitical organization. Uh, we, in, in one sense, don't deal with, with governments. And, uh, but, but there can be some complicated issues. And I'll give you an idea, in uh, Aswatini, about 50% of the population is under the age of 14. And mm -hmm. so you have uh, grandparents that are, are raising 15 to 20 to, to 30 kids uh, in, in a portion uh, in, a, in a small village, and and how do you feed them? How do you how do you reach them? Uh, how do you train them up? And, and these are some of the questions we'll go through so that they don't have a food dependency. And so, the the solution to hunger we can say is is simple of getting a meal in there, but the process of getting that meal there, of working with the right partners, of understanding uh, what's happening in that culture, that's the complicated part of the process. Hmm. Yep. And so talk to us a little bit about what areas do you deliver these uh, meals to and, and how do you make that decision? 
So we have a food application process. So a nonprofit that is embedded in a country, we're in 70 different countries around the world. And we say our food probably goes out further than that uh, into more countries. But we have a process where our nonprofit partner is vetted. They have some things that they have to do to be able to uh, uh, guarantee that the food is uh, delivered, that a certain percentage uh, goes to children, and it's a high percentage. And you might say, well, I thought 100% goes to children. But if mom and dad are starving, it, it does no good just to feed the kids. So there are at times where mom and dad will receive the, the meal as well. And then they provide back uh, stories and accounting uh, on the different projects. And then we meet with our partners as well. We have uh, partner meetings throughout the year. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how you decide. So what area, name some of the countries or areas that... So Haiti receives the, the most meals, about 40% of our meals. Uh, so we're in Central America, we're in South America, uh, we're in several different countries in Africa, we're in the, the Philippines. Uh, like I said, so we've delivered meals into Somalia. We, we just got a shipment uh, into South Sudan, and uh, that was uh, quite, quite the process to, to get the meals into a war zone. I, I don't know what the stat is now. But I know uh, 10 years ago when I was doing some work uh, with another organization in South Sudan, there was 1.5 miles of paved road, and that was in the capital. So whenever it's rainy season or if anything happens, it's uh, a tremendous difficulty to get food in there. So we were able to uh, work with a partner that was shipping in uh, a, a couple hundred thousand meals, and I received an email from an organization that said, we have 455 kids, and they're starving on the South Sudan border. Um, and, and so that's the, the, the pressure sometimes, or maybe pressure is not the right word, but, but those are the decisions internally that we have to make or decide who do we feed, how do, how do we allocate, because we don't have unlimited resources. So how do we allocate these meals? And, um, and so another orphanage receiving meals, working with another partner, said, we want to ship these 30,000 meals uh, extra that we have to them. And to get the message back to hear and to, to see the pictures of 455 orphans that were starving, to see them opening up the packages of food. I, I talked to one person. I said, what does it mean to receive this food to you? And I, I haven't done the calculation yet on this, but I, I wanted to. They said, to us, these are like bags of gold. Hmm. And I thought, you know, each bag costs about $1.50, just a little less, and there's six meals in a bag. And uh, so that dollar fifty to that person who's starving, they they relate it to a, a bag of gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, for us in, in the United States, where we don't think twice about where we're going to get our next meal, um, the idea of not knowing and not and or maybe even knowing that there's no option, you know, it's it's huge. Yeah, in, in some places there's there's no local store. Uh, to to go to the uh, sometimes the answer will be well let, let's teach people how to how to farm and uh, one conversation that I heard uh, from somebody in Haiti and they said this where do you buy your tomatoes where do you buy your groceries I said do you farm them all and the answer was no and and the gentleman said well we don't want to farm either we're we're not farmers we used to work in the hospitality industry. And so we have to be careful that as an organization, my point in that story is that we don't come in uh, to different countries and to different cultures and say, we have the answer. This is what you should do. And, and a lot of well-meaning people will, um, I, I've heard these stories in Africa, will will buy uh, tractors that are six-figure tractors and say, this is going to help you farm. And 
uh, from partners that I've talked about, uh, talked with, they said, you know what you see sometimes in Africa is $100,000 tractors sitting out in a field because there's not a part to replace it. There's not a mechanic to fix it. So there really, there really has to be a holistic thinking of what does this mean? And, and that gets us into what we've been doing lately. It's called our project-based food assistance. So how do you go into an area and uh, sustainability is a key word right now in our society. And so what I say is sustainability in Somalia looks different than sustainability in the Dominican Republic. So you really have to think about what area uh, am I talking about and what does sustainability look there. But we were in the Philippines, and there's a great story on our website uh, about it. Uh, we went into the Philippines, went into an island, uh, Marinduque, where we, we think the malnutrition rate was anywhere – I'll give a wider range, but but 24 to 28%, and, and it dropped tremendously. But we went in there, and uh, we said, we want to partner with you. We want to feed every man, woman, and child in this village, partnered with the local nonprofits. And uh, one of the things that happened, uh, why we were in there, 7-Eleven came in and said, hey, you make this snack, and I can't remember the exact number, but if you can make 50,000 or 100,000 of these snacks a month, um, you know, we'll buy them from you. So all of a sudden, by providing the food as the foundation, and, and this is what happens. We say food is the foundation for hope. If you're starving to death, you're not thinking about an education. You're not thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about what you want to do in the future. You're thinking about how you're going to survive that next day. And But once that food is there, then people start thinking about hey, what could we do to grow this economy? And you see kids going to school. You see parents saying, hey, I, I hear they have food at the school. Well, then maybe the daughter that would never be sent to school is now being sent to school. They're getting the meals. They're getting the proper nutrition. And they're excelling. And and so those are some of the stories in, that, that we put on our website. We want people to know um, we're all aware of that, that hunger is an issue, but what happens when they get the meal and the proper nutrition? What, what happens next? And so we have hundreds of those stories on our website that, that I encourage people to go and, and take a look at the impact of, of what 24 cents can do. Cause that, that's the cost of our meal. Okay. Uh, 24 cents. Nice. You know, you mentioned something about, um, trying or Americans thinking that they have the answer. And I think you know, there's a lot of backlash because that's been the approach that some people have taken. We've got the answer. You should do things our way. Um, I don't know. Can you talk to that? Yeah. So there's a community. So in the Dominican Republic, there are um, places called Bates, And uh, I, I think I'll, I'll be off maybe just a little bit, but like 90 percent of the refined sugar that we get uh, in America comes from the Dominican Republic. So they have uh, uh, 200 to 300 Bates, and, and those are places where workers go out and manually uh, go out and work in the sugarcane plantations, cut the sugarcane, come back, uh, load it, process it. And so we went into a place called Bate 106, and it was uh, one of the Bates that was known as as the poorest uh, Bates. And, uh, and so many stories that have taken place in there. And so we came in and we said, we're going to feed every man, woman, and child in this Bates for uh, three to five years. But what do you need? And a couple things happened. They said, uh, one, if you could get us somebody to teach us English. If we know English, then we can work in the hospitality industry. And we can also work in the call centers. And, and so we did that. Uh, we hired uh, an English teacher to come in two, I, two to three times a week and teach English. And so what we're doing is then we're providing an on-ramp out of the Bate as well because we provided a skill. 
A second one that somebody said is cooking classes. And I, I don't know if we still have it or not, but we used to have a cookbook. And all around the world, people would add different things to our meals and some different recipes. But what they said is, again, if we learn the skill of cooking, then we can get a job in the hospitality industry. So those are some things we provided. Another one was we would like electricity. Well, we're, we're feed my starving children. I always say this. We're a widget factory that still makes widgets. That's what we do. That's what we maintain. And, uh, and, and, and we, 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 we feed a million kids every single day. We don't do electricity. But within six months of us being there, that batay had electricity. And, and we can't pinpoint it and say that that was because of us. But what happens is, is when you get into a community and, and hope begins to spring forth and, and kids in that community, and, it, and it's so great. Um, I, I've seen pictures before and, and videos of when we first went in the community, and it's not like it is today. When, when you pull up in a bus and you get out, you see dozens of kids smiling, running up and uh, wanting to play basketball, wanting to do different things uh, because they have the energy to do that. And uh, but they have electricity now there. Uh, some of the kids uh, that have received the meals have said, you know what, I want to be president. You know, that, that that's my goal. And they never had that hope before. As a matter of fact, we do an event called Pack at the Park uh, where we partner with the Minnesota Twins. They allow us to use Target Field. We pack a million meals over two days, 5,000 volunteers. And uh, one of the uh, gentlemen from Batay 106 did a video for us and just talked about the importance of food as the foundation of hope and what it meant for him. And his goal someday uh, was uh, to, to really be a mentor and impact people outside of Batay 106. So thank goodness because of technology, during the event, we texted him to show him that his video was being shown in Minnesota in front of 5,000 volunteers. Lives were being touched. And he said, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that I would be at Target Field in front of 5,000 people encouraging them. And uh, But he wasn't there five years ago. And that's not what he was thinking about. I, I just want to mention one more thing about the Batay 106. So I, I, I have the same questions as everybody else. And there's other partners, nonprofits that, that we work with. So what, what happens is we receive donations. We turn that into meals. Uh, volunteers pack it. And then we give that food away. Uh, to, again, to vetted partners. So we've got great partners uh, all over the world. And one of our partners, uh, Samaritan's Hospital in, in the Dominican Republic, and uh, they, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, several containers that, that go out to them. And I said, what does it mean to you that you receive this food? And their response to me was, well, we used to do our best to go in and to feed people in this village. Now that we or in the Batay, now that we don't have to spend money on that, we're using that money to train nurses to send them into the batets because people can't make it to the hospital to do basic health care and to do assessments that if they need to go to the hospital. And not only that, we're going through the process of building homes. So he said, if it wasn't for the meal, we wouldn't be able to train the nurses and we wouldn't be able to build homes. And I really walked away of personally, I'm like, wow, firsthand to see that ripple effect of here's a meal but it's training a nurse and it's building a home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't think that when we go in and we're, we're packing, uh, but, but that's what's happening all over the world. There, there's a ripple effect with our partners. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you said about asking the people that are receiving this gift what, what they need and what they want because um, they know better than we ever could what that is. And at the same time, uh, 
the whole idea that your organization leads with food because if if you don't have that basic necessity, it's so hard to to do anything else. Yeah, people, I, I think about a time when I say um, hunger, it really is hard for us to understand, you know, hunger here. And, and one of the questions, you know, we talk about is what do we do here in the United States? I think, if I remember correctly, we have shipped uh, 80 boxes of food to um, food shelves around the United States, and we've responded uh, to some of the, the hurricanes and, and different things that, that have happened. And, and we don't want to see people hungry anywhere in the world. And so I'm very careful how I answer this question. But when you look at the uh, top 10, the top 20, the top 50, and the list just came out the other day, the top 119 countries that suffer with food insecurity, the United States isn't on that list. I think it's Singapore, the United States, the United Kingdom, and, and Ireland that, that rate in the top four for food security. So we we have access to to food. Food is mm -hmm. out there and, and and available, and and it's kind of the decision like any business or nonprofit. Where do I put my resources? Where you know, not trying to be all things to all people. So it's it's our goal to go to the least of these in places where they don't have that option to to even grow the food. So right now they're saying in uh, Somalia that one uh, to one point five million people may die this year. Uh, because of the droughts that are there, we don't see it on the news. It's not in the news cycle, um, but 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 we see it, and and we want to do our best uh, to feed as many people as we can in, in areas like that. Yeah, I know that um, so many people here think, well, we've got a lot of needs. We've got people that are they, they don't have housing. There's uh, all sorts of issues here, but like you said, you, you can't do everything. And so it's, it's, you've selected this as your focus and, and you're working towards it. So that's, that's great. And, and I would add to that, we really believe that giving begets giving. So one of the things that, that we did, our, our board came together and we do an event called Better Together. So we believe that, that giving begets giving. And we partnered with Minnesota Teen Challenge and Union Gospel Mission. And we went to the Minnesota State Fairgrounds um, uh, packed a whole lot of meals, and then everything that came in, uh, we split it three ways among those organizations. And so to be able to, it, it's an event that as nonprofits that we can come together, that we can work together. And, and it's our way of giving to people in the local community here as well. Hmm, nice. So one of the things that's unique about Feed My Starving Children is the number of volunteers that you use to actually pack the meals. Yes. So first of all, why do you use volunteers instead of just having you know, a normal factory that packs food? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, so one of the questions I asked is, you know, when how did it start out when I joined the organization? And I think somewhere, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, in, in Rogers, the original founder, I think they did put together a machine <laughs> to, to do that. And I don't think it was ever used. But one of the things, uh, people want to be involved in the process. And, and I would say now more than ever, uh, I think donors today are, are smarter than they've ever been. Uh, they'll uh, uh, take a look at, uh, I see one of the things we just received yesterday at it, to, to answer your question as a whole. So Charity Navigator rates, I, I think it's over 8,000 nonprofits in the United States. And so we just received for the 15th year in a row the highest rating from Charity Navigator, and they said it puts you in the top 1% of all charities that, that we rate. So everything around Feed My Starving Children is, is 24 cents. 
And do I need to make that copy? Um, do I need to drive there? Uh, there was a conversation. Uh, last year was a tough winter. And so our parking lot, so we... We're gonna we're gonna have about 1.3 million volunteers. I, I don't know where that puts us, but I know that puts us in the top 10 for volunteer organizations in America. We have three sites here: three in Illinois, uh, one in Mesa, one in Dallas, and we do mobile packs in 38 different states around the United States, where we'll come out to a business, a church, an organization, and we'll pack uh, on site. We haven't packed in Alaska, and we haven't packed in, in Hawaii yet. <laughs> um, but uh, but people want to be involved in, in, in that process. So there's something that happens when our hands touch the uh, touch the instruments that are touching the food, and it goes from your hands to your heart. And and people enjoy. And if you've ever, I, I know you said you've been out packing, but packing, I say feeding kids is a lot of fun. And you see people coming in, and they pack the meals, and they listen to the music, and uh, they see the impact that they have in that time. And it's a rarity that you don't see a smile on there. And I, and I think it's some of those stories that, that happen uh, in the volunteer experience as well. And I personally say this, uh, a machine doesn't uh, care about the kids receiving the meals. A machine doesn't pray over the meals. A machine doesn't uh, go out and encourage other people uh, to do that, although I'm sure that's probably coming with, with AI. <laughs> but, but there's so many things that a machine can't do that when people experience that process, it's one of my great joys to see them leaving the packing room with a smile. And I hear this again and again and again. Boy, was that fun. Boy, feeding kids is, is fun. I, I want to come back. I want to do that. I want to share that with somebody else. And uh, you just don't get that, that process with the machine, that experience, I should say. Yeah. Well, I can probably tell you that I probably wouldn't know about Feed My Starving Children had it not been for the volunteer involvement. Hmm. Uh, because I don't remember exactly when, but at some point I packed meals or I heard about people packing meals and then eventually I got involved. And yeah, now I have experienced what you do. I've, I've been there at the, at the location. I don't know what do you call it. But the, um, and so it's just made a, a huger impact on myself. And encourage me to get other people involved, which is exactly what I'm doing here. So. And, and what a blessing. And, and since I've been there, there are some people, we do competitive packs. And if you've ever been in the packing room, uh, you, uh, again, assemble the bag. And there's some people that they practice with the bag with one hand that they can get it under the fundal, funnel. And they have another bag in another hand. And uh, I, I got put on a competitive team, and uh, I was tired afterwards. But but there are just uh, some people that are just so passionate uh, about it. And and there's many different jobs in that area in the, the packing room. So I appreciate you, uh, again, coming out and feeding kids. Yep. So besides volunteering to pack the food, what are other ways that people could get involved if they want to do more? Yeah, so th there's there's a lot. And one is we started, I think it was eight years ago now, a, a retail store. And so I always tell people with their Christmas shopping, all the items made in the retail store are made by artisans that have received food at one point in time or another. And it provides, and we can talk about this later, but the sustainability in that area and, and what that means and it helps provide meals as well. Um, we also have what's called our food in action trips. We do about four to five of these a year where you actually get to go out and work with our partners and actually help hand out the meals. 
those are life-changing, especially when you've been in the packing room, you've assembled the meals, and we've seen this where somebody has packed meals, we'll say at our Coon Rapids location. They go on a trip, and then they see uh, at our partner the meals that they packed. And uh, to give you an example, this happened uh, Casa de Luz, a uh, special needs orphanage in the, in the Dominican uh, Republic. Uh, people on the trip that were there helped pack in the Coon Rapids location and saw boxes from the Coon Rapids location. And uh, and then to see the, the meals being passed out to the kids there. And many people don't know this, but we actually have several different meal types. Um, we've got our basic meal, with the, is the rice formula. We have one for uh, toddlers, six months to 12 months, that can't chew the rice. So it's a potato formula. And, and one of my favorite that we do is also... 85% of the diseases in third world countries are waterborne illness diseases. So if, if I'm giving you food and you're impacted by that, uh, it's, it's going to do no good. You have to stop the symptoms. So we developed a formula that treats the symptoms of waterborne diseases to stop the diarrhea and vomiting, to get them back on the road to health. We also have a, a three-pack where, uh, and we've uh, done this in a, f a couple countries, where we buy the rice from local farmers, and then the people that receive the food come and pack the rice, seal the bags, and then take it home. So then even the people receiving the food are part of the process, and it's helping grow the local community. Hmm. Neat. So uh, lots of ways to be involved there. And obviously, um, and the event that I have coming up where we're going to be packing meals, there's no cost to the volunteers. However, there's an opportunity that they can donate if they'd like to. What is what do you usually uh, what does it cost to pack to pay for these meals that they're packing? So we say it's twenty four cents for every meal, and uh, and that twenty four cents includes everything. It includes the, the the building, the payroll, the staff. So I mentioned with the charity navigator. So we spend about uh, depending on, on the year ninety one to ninety two percent of what comes in uh, on the mission of, of feeding children. And so, like I said, that puts us in the top one percent. Uh, 100% goes toward, but but that 8 to 9% for administration costs. And so if you just take a look at the meals that you pack, there's six meals in a bag, so times 24 cents, 36 bags in a box, 216 meals, and then 36 boxes on a pallet, the 7,866. I, I may be off on my math this morning. And and so just using that, that 24 cent number, when we send out to our partners, we usually send out a shipping container. So if you think of a semi-truck driving down the road and you see the shipping container, there are 272,000 meals on, on a shipping container at a cost of about $65,000. So we say every quarter matters. And because every quarter is a, a meal. I I'd mentioned just a little bit earlier about our, our parking lot. I don't think I finished the, the story. And um, and the decision was made, well, to, to repave our, our parking lot, you know, would be the, the minimum 20000 just to patch, 100000 to do that. And the decision that was made was, well, we'd rather feed 400, 500, 600,000 kids. Can you drive around the potholes? And, uh, and, and we were blessed by an organization that said, um, you know what we'll do? When we come back from one of our jobs, we have uh, leftover material. So why don't we just patch up some of those potholes for you? So one of the largest volunteer organizations in, in the world, and, and that's how we operate. Uh, one of the stories when I was uh, first there, uh, somebody was making fun of one of our projectors. You know, I say it was like ancient. You could like roast marshmallows over it. You know, it would produce so much heat. And somebody was saying, you know, why don't you guys get a new projector? This is an ancient projector. 
And uh, one of the executives said, we don't buy new projectors around here. We feed starving children. We, we use that twice a year. Mm. You know? and, and so that's, that's really the, the mentality there. And, and so there's different ways for people to get involved. Uh, we, we have our, our gala where people can come, attend the gala, be sponsors. Uh, we have sponsorships for our mobile packing events as well. There may be churches out there that say, hey, we want to host an event at, at our church. And churches are looking for, well, how do we get the community involved? There are uh, businesses out there that may say, we're looking for an organization that, that we want to partner with. So there, there's just several, several different ways. But, um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, we say, you know, thoughtfully pray about it. And, and we don't shame anybody to, to giving. We don't, we don't take anything. We don't... Uh, uh, it's it's always receiving, and uh, we say God loves a joyful giver, and so that's what we want to see. And and we've got some of the the best volunteers we we say in the United States, and and people that that give generously, and and we love it when when people are a part of that full process of helping uh, pack the meals and and pay for them. And and sometimes we we do know this: the organizations, individuals that that make a donation. Part of what they're doing is they're paying for that volunteer experience for those schools that are coming in. Um, I, I walked through the uh, packing room yesterday, and I, I saw not not stress, but but a little bit of a, a little bit more of an anxiety with the the warehouse workers. And I thought, I wonder what's going on. And I looked, and there was like uh, eighty five year olds, uh, not not eighty five, but eighty kindergarten five year olds uh, in there packing. And 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 it was just it was so joyous. And I say they were stressed. They they were they were loving it, but. But you could see uh, somebody else help pay for that packing experience for so those ingredients there so those kids could get to learn about what does it mean to serve and to give back. And uh, so there's just joyous experiences like that as well. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, when I'm going, I'm bringing my kids. And I like it also gives me an opportunity to to um, explain Hey, you're blessed. You know, we tell them all the time when they don't want to eat their food. <laughs> there's people that don't have food. And and this is a way that I can show them, look, this is what we do to help out those people. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate that you allow kids to come too and, and to participate. Yeah, and the, the age is starting at five years old, so they, mm -hmm. they can come and pack. And then we also have groups that, that come in, um, retirees that, that will sticker the bags as well. And so there's there's real fellowship groups that have come in, and, and, and that's their thing to um, uh, get together in their small community and, and make a difference. But... But people don't learn to serve by uh, having a, phil a philosophical conversation about it. Mm -hmm. You learn to serve, like you said, by bringing your kids in and showing and, and going through that process. And, and that's how I, I learned. You know, my, my dad would take me on uh, Thanksgiving to deliver meals on wheels. And, and that always stood out to me that we had uh, shut-ins in our neighborhood where my mom would say, you go, you deliver this meal. And if they try to give you anything, I'm going to really get you, you know, on the, and you serve because that, that's, that was the foundation of, of the community. But, but some things are taught, some things are caught. And I know it's a combination of both, but, but really going out there, having the kids experience it. And, and the kids bring a lot of joy as well. Yep. I, I'm amazed. If, if I'm ever tired, I just go down to the packing room and I listen to people sing and dance and, and everything. I spend two minutes in there and I say, I'm, I'm ready to go the rest of the day. <laughs> nice. Well, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap things up. Any uh, last bits of information that you can share with the audience just to share who Feed My Starving Children is? 
Yeah, I would say just again, we are passionate about feeding uh, children. Um, every decision that, that we make is, is based uh, off of that. The volunteer experience is, is so important to what we do. Because some people have a, a misunderstanding of what's a nonprofit. A, a nonprofit is just a, a group of people and volunteers that say, I believe in that mission of, of feeding starving children. And uh, the, the impact, and, and we could spend all day here telling story after story after story of uh, the impact of the food. And that's where I encourage people to, to go to our website to take a look at that. But the impact that we see when people get not just calories, but they get the nutrition that's needed. They get the protein for the brain growth that, that's, that's happening during these early ages. Um, it's It's just tremendous. And when you see somebody... Uh, that has been abandoned. When you see somebody that their their parents have died of, of HIV uh, and AIDS and they're left alone and the community thinks they're cursed and so they want nothing to do with them and the food comes in and you see these kids that were on, on the edge really of, of entering eternity and now they have a hope for the future and they're smiling and they're thinking. And here's what I'd want people to know. The people that receive the food are so grateful and many of them think, how can I give back now? What can I do for society? And we hear these stories again and again. And uh, so I just want to thank your audience. To thank you for coming out and packing. Thank you for having us here just to tell the story of Feed My Starving Children. And, uh, and we're so grateful for everybody that comes and is a part of the process. And if they haven't packed yet, I encourage you to come out and pack. And uh, it's, it's a process that you won't soon forget. Mm, yep, for sure. And I just appreciate uh, the audience kind of listening to something a little bit different than we normally talk about. But, you know, hopefully this was uh, helpful for you to understand why uh, I'm encouraging you to come pack at Feed My Starving Children at the date coming up. You can just look in the show notes is where you'll see the link to sign up and uh, become a part of this packing event. Um, so, and Martin, before I let you go, um, I have a routine of asking all my guests a couple oh. of closing questions. Sure. So these weren't on the ones I gave you. <laughs> Um, but, but I think you'll do great. Um, so number one is why do you get up in the morning? Several reasons. Um, I'll, I'll give one, um, uh, meaningful story, kind of funny. I say, so I'm, I'm 47 years old and, uh, my wife, um, I won't say her age because, uh, she might listen to this, uh, broadcast, but she's younger than I am. And we were driving in a car and uh, she went to hold my hand and I said, Oh no, I was cleaning. I, I I'm probably in trouble. And I said, am I in trouble? And she said, no, you're, you're not in trouble. And I said, did I throw something out? And she said, no, you didn't throw something out. So I was like, well, I'm not in trouble. I didn't throw something out. What could it be? And I, and I looked, I said, are you not pregnant? Are you? And she said, yes. And a, a joy of joy. We have one daughter who's uh, 14. And so 14 years in between. And, and we've got a little one-year-old right now. Um, that is, uh, um, just, uh, along with my other daughter, just joy of our lives. And uh, to be able to, to get up uh, every day and, and to see her and realize there's a responsibility of, of mentoring and growing and, and, and raising her in the right ways. But I always say this about being at Feed My Starving Children. Um, the worst day I could ever possibly have there, the absolute worst, I could come home and say I still played a small part in feeding one million kids over, over, over 70 different countries. And so it's such a joy every day to go in and to know that uh, with yourself coming out to pack and everybody, we get to play that small part in making a big impact. So that it really does uh, one of the reasons why I get up. Nice. 
Uh, my second question is, what's a person or event in your history that was kind of monumental and changing and creating who you are today? So th this is outside of Feed My Starving Children. So I, um, I managed uh, several call centers uh, across the United States uh, from 1998 to 2002, 2003. Um, I was uh, selected as the, the top employee organization of 5,000 people and uh, really on a fast track for a vice president uh, position. And um, I, I really felt like God was calling me to something different. And so on a plane ride from um, North Carolina to Chicago Midway, a gentleman walked by and he said, boy, that's a great book that you're reading. And I was reading the book, uh, The Case for Christ. And I thought, I bet you he's a pastor. So I always tell people, be careful. So I, I chased him down in Midway. Be careful about chasing people in Midway Airport. And, and I said, sir, are you a pastor? And he said, uh, young man, yes, I am. And I love it when people call me young man. And uh, I said, have you ever planted a church? And he said, only seven of them. And I said, oh, okay. I said, I, I think this is more than a chance meeting. And so I told him, I said, here's where I'm at. I feel like I could go with this career the next 15 years, and, and maybe I'll do it then. But I, I said, I feel like God is calling me to plant a church. And he said, well, he said, being in the middle of the river is always the hardest place to be. He said, you can go forward, you can go backwards, but if you stay in the middle, the current of society and culture will just sweep you away. Make a choice. And, and that's really impacted me to this day in, in making decisions that, um, one, we need to make a decision. I, I don't want to just go with the flow. And, uh, and he never said you'll make the right choice. You know, we talked about it. you could make the wrong choice. You, you could have missed hearing, but what do you do then? And, uh, but he said, don't stay in that middle of the river. And, and so that's, that, that's one thing. The, the other, do we have a, a quick couple minutes? Sure. Uh, Go ahead. I, I think one of the other things that really impacted me was, um, what I've seen over time, what, what one meal, what one blanket, what one thing could do. And, um, we worked with an organization um, that we we saw they needed blankets and they wanted blankets. And so our, our church put together, um, we got 800 blankets together. Uh, I'll shorten the story. We were able to ship it over to Sudan. And we wrote on each blanket, don't ever, ever forget uh, that you matter, that God cares about you. And uh, when they received the, the blankets, the, the person receiving the blankets had just gone through a, a horrific thing and was asking the question, um, God, do I matter to anybody? And they said, when I received that blanket and I saw that note, it restored my hope. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm at Feed My Starving Children, because I, I know that one meal in, in God's hand can make a tremendous difference. It can bring hope to that person that's wondering, do I matter? And we get this all the time. We say, why do people in Minnesota care about us? <laughs> How did they even know that, that we're here? And, and the joy to know that we're not forgotten about. We're in a project in, um, uh, in Jeremy, Haiti. I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down uh, that far. And uh, in that area, people have said, we never thought anybody outside of Jeremy would know who we are. And the fact that in Minnesota, you know who we are. And, and isn't that what we all want? We want to be known. We want to know that, that we're needed. We want to know that we're matter. we matter to people. I kind of went on a little bit, actually. <laughs> That's right. Um, just uh, last thing here would be, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to maybe even sign up for uh, 
their own packing events? Yeah, so the, the best thing to do is go to our website, fmsc.org, and right up on the top, there, there's two ways. There's two buttons, uh, one to volunteer. It'll show you the different shifts that we have available. We're open uh, Monday through Saturday. I have different shifts going on at different locations. Uh, you can go, you can hit the shift that you want to uh, attend. It'll show you how many spots that are left. And, and I would always say this, maybe I'll get in trouble for this. If, if you're one or two people and it, it's full, there's always room for one more. Just, just come on out. We'll, we'll find you room. And, um, and, and then again, there's a, a donate button as well. And so they're right there, great ways to get involved. Wonderful. All right. Well, with that, I just want to thank you again for coming in. Thank I do you, have John. a small uh, thank you gift for making the trip in here. It's the Maximizing Your Property Value mug. Thank you, John. I kind of have a, a informal poll going on. Are you more likely to put coffee, hot chocolate, tea? What, what is it? Okay. So this is actually more of a complicated question. <laughs> I love coffee. And uh, I would always get my coffee from gas station coffee till somebody said, Oh, why are you drinking that? This is what really good coffee tastes like. And I was like, wow, this really is good. So I, I can drink a lot of coffee. So I actually switched to, so it'll probably be neither. Uh, it's called a, a dandy blend. And it's uh, it was made in Europe during World War II when they didn't have coffee. And it's this blend of things. And it's the closest thing that I found that tastes like coffee. So I'm probably going to drink that in it. How's that for an answer? That sounds good. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you again. And Thank you to our audience for yeah, checking you. out this episode and be sure to subscribe and so you can hear the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.